Well, today, if you're new, we're in a series on Matthew's Gospel. And Matthew is looking at who's the king, where's the kingdom, what does it look like to live in this kingdom. And we are in the section on the greatest sermon ever to be preached, the Sermon on the Mount. We're in the closing section. We have this week and next week, and we will finish up what is called the Sermon on the Mount, this famous sermon of Jesus Christ. And Jesus has been speaking to his disciples, to his followers, showing them this is what it looks like to live as a kingdom person, as opposed to what the religious leaders in Jesus' day were teaching. They were teaching an outward expression of religion, a legalistic form of religion that didn't critically and carefully examine the heart. And what Jesus is doing in this sermon, he's doing heart surgery. He's having each and every one of us examine our hearts before God Almighty. And here's a few things about heart surgery. It can be painful. We don't like having our hearts examined. It can hurt. It requires us being honest before God. One of the other things is we examine our heart. No one else can do that for you. Oh, sure, you can have brothers and sisters in Christ come and help you examine your heart. But ultimately, that is you and God and Jesus is showing us that everything in our life flows out of it, out of our hearts. And he closes the main body of the sermon with these words, these famous words that we looked at last week. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, the golden rule. And now he's launching into a closing part of the sermon, but the closing of this sermon is actually the most challenging, the most difficult, some of the most controversial parts of this sermon. Jesus speaks, we saw last week, of two gates that lead to two roads that have two different ways, one is hard, one is easy, that lead to two different destinations. And he's given this hard truth. Every person that walks the face of the earth is on one of these two roads. And this week we're going to see two trees. Next week we'll see two houses with two foundations. Yet in all of these, Jesus is saying there's one choice. You can only be on one of these roads. So today's text, it's a tough text. It's a hard text. One of the things that we do here is we preach through books of the Bible. And as we walk through them, they sometimes land us in places that are hard and challenging. But these are the words of Jesus Christ. So today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 23. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there with me. If you don't have your Bibles, the words will be on the screen. And let's stand for the reading of God's good word. Hear the word of our Lord. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes 
gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. God, your word declares that all men are like grass and all our glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word stands forever. Lord, may this be the word that is faithfully preached today. Unless you speak, nothing of any eternal significance is spoken. So speak, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, Jesus closes this sermon with some difficult words. Last week, in verse 13, he said, enter by the narrow gate. This week, I've titled our sermon, Fatal Wolves. They don't appear to be wolves. They come in sheep's clothing, we're going to see. But we're going to see four points about these fatal wolves that he's going to point out here. First, he points out in verse 13 that there's a fatal path. There's two ways. There's a narrow gate. There's a broad gate. And a small gate, we looked at that last week, that narrow gate. Scripture comes to this over and over again. In fact, in John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door, or I am the gate. And the imagery there is of Jesus, the good shepherd. A shepherd would literally build a sheep pen out of rocks. And then he would, to protect those sheep, when he slept at night, he would sleep between the rocks as the gate himself. No one could enter the gate. No sheep could enter the gate unless they came through the good shepherd. No wolf could enter the gate unless they came through the good shepherd. And Jesus says that he is the gate. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus makes these claims and truth about himself that he is not only the gate, but he's the way. He says the way is often hard, but he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Acts uh, 4.12, Peter says salvation is found under no, um, no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.5, he says there's one mediator, 
between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. Jesus, Peter, Paul, all point to Jesus is the way. He is the gate. Now in our flesh, we don't like the exclusivity, the narrowness, the smallness of the gate that is Christianity. Our flesh rebels against it. We want to make a wide gate, a, a, a wide road. One of the things that's hard about this passage, it's in verse 14. I, I struggle with this greatly. Jesus says, there will be few who find the narrow gate. Few. Why can't it be many? He says many are on the wide road that leads to destruction. Few find the narrow gate. Few are on the road. I don't like that. That, that, that doesn't feel good. My flesh wants to reject it. My flesh wants to come at Scripture and change it. Oh, but church, we're under the authority of God's Word. These are God's Word. And Jesus says, few find it. Take those words. Heed those words. Let the weightiness of them rest on us here. You see, often our evangelists of our day, they'll preach quite different than Jesus. Oftentimes, we want to make the way wide. Growing up, I, I remember as a child, I went to a church that every week we would have an altar call, and there's nothing wrong with altar calls, but we would play the same song over and over and over again until someone came forward, pushing, come, come, come. Now Jesus says it's few. Altar calls are fine. Inviting people to follow Jesus, we should be doing that continually. But we also must recognize the narrowness, the fewness in Jesus speaking here. Jesus, in his preaching, here's what he says, follow me. He makes it simple, yet clear and difficult. He says, follow me, and there's some people who are like, hey Jesus, let me go bury my dad. They want their dad probably had not died. They want to go bury him. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dad. Hey, Jesus, I need to take care of my mom and my sister. He says, who is your mom and sister? Hey, Jesus, where are we going to be staying? What do I need to bring? Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to rest. Jesus continually says, it's going to be a difficult road. He doesn't paint an easy road. He doesn't paint a comfortable road. He says, count the cost and follow me. Through the narrow gate, he's the only way that we can enter. And you see, there could be people who come to church every Sunday and praise God. They walk an aisle. They say a prayer. But there hasn't been a regeneration, a new birth, a conversion in their life where they are a new creation. You see, our only hope in this life is to throw ourselves on the mercy of Jesus Christ, on the grace of God, at the altar of grace, trusting in Christ. That's our only hope. He's our only way. And Jesus is pointing to this as narrow. 
Whenever I come into Ethiopia through the airport, they'll often look at me and they'll push me to the, to the area where you go through the tourist. And I'll say, well, no, 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 I have a, I'm a resident. I, I, I live in Ethiopia. I, I have a residence card. And they're always a little surprised. And then I get to enter uh, the line with those who have Ethiopian passports and those who have a, a residence ID. And I've loved living in Ethiopia. I'm grateful to live here. I love the people. I love this church. I love the culture. I love the land. I love the, the challenges that God allows me to embrace. I'm grateful, grateful to serve here. I love learning what few words I can learn and praying God will allow me to learn more of this challenging language for me. But even if I learn all the language, even if I learn all the culture, even if I learn all the customs and the practices, I'll still never fully be an Ethiopian. I wasn't born here. I, I, I wasn't raised here. I can love this nation and love the people, but I, I, I will, I'll still always be an American. He's grateful to be living in Ethiopia. You see, there are people who come to church week after week. They love the church. They love the people of the church. They can speak the church language. Oh, brother, how are you? Blessed. They can say all these things. They know where to come, what to say, what to do. But that's not what makes you a Christian. Just showing up. No, you have to be born again as a Christian. You're born again. You are given a new heart. Your heart of stone is turned into a heart of flesh. God transforms you and changes you. You see, there's many that Jesus is saying who will show up week after week. But if they haven't thrown themselves on the altar of grace, recognizing their sin, recognizing there is no hope, there is no hope, there is no hope outside of Jesus. The Bible doesn't give us other options. The Bible doesn't give us a middle road. We want a middle road. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. There's a wide road that leads to destruction. I don't want to go to destruction. Surely there's another road for those people who are religious. Those people who are trying to do good things, so to speak. Those people who were born into a good family. Isn't there a middle road? But Jesus doesn't paint it. He doesn't give a middle road. You're either on the narrow road in Christ, trusting in Him alone, or you're on the wide road that leads to destruction. Well, one of the beautiful things about entering through the narrow gate of Christ, entering that hard road, He says it'll be hard, that has a destination of life. The destination is secure. You don't have to worry. You, you can trust in Christ, be born again, and you are secure in Him. Just like we see the Nile River starts here in Ethiopia. It flows northward, winding and curving and going through different nations. But if you are in the Nile River, here's what's assured. You are going to end up 
in the Mediterranean Sea. That's where it's taking you. You just stay in there. It's going to take you there. And if you are in Christ, if you've trusted in Christ and you're in Him, here's where you're headed. You're headed for life, life eternal with Him. It's secure. We can trust it. We can rest in it. So Jesus points out that there's false paths. In verse 15, He says there are false prophets or fatal prophets. There's a fatal path. And there's a fatal prophet. This is the prophet who preaches the wide gate. He preaches an easy believism. It's not going to cost you anything. Come to Jesus. He'll, make, he'll give you health. He'll give you wealth. He'll give you whatever you want. And it's a false gospel. It's a gospel that Jesus does not preach. It's an easy believism. Just come, do whatever you want, live however you want. No, our gospel, it is easy because Jesus has done all the work. But we're created anew by Him. It's not easy in the sense that we remain in our sin. It's not easy in the sense that Jesus is, gives us whatever we want in this life. He says the way is hard. He doesn't say the way is easy. He says the wide road is easy. Fatal prophets preach to make you feel good about yourself. Fatal prophet doesn't like to mention this word of sin. Doesn't like to talk about sin. The Bible speaks of sin. That is your great problem. You are a sinner, all of sin, all of foreshort glory of God. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is destruction. And you are headed down that path to destruction unless you walk through the narrow gate that is Christ Himself. He says, watch out that these wolves, they are dressed in sheep's clothing. They look like a sheep. They'll act like a sheep at times. They know the language. They can even take the Bible and twist it and use it for their own desires and their own wants. They can quote scriptures to you where you go, that must be true, but they're twisting the Bible. I've said this often. Scripture is the best interpreter of Scripture. If you ever read a passage and it sounds like, what does this mean? God is gracious and gives us enough scripture that we can look and understand the parts that are more difficult. You see, a false prophet, ever since the fall of mankind, in Genesis 3, there have been false prophets. So God, in his mercy, has taken certain people and said, you will be a true prophet. And a true prophet, it does two things. They have a divine commission coming from God and a divine message coming from God. In the Old Testament, we see that a true prophet serves as the voice of God. But just as God is a true prophet, Satan has a false prophet. A prophet who will speak something different. Listen to what it says in, in Jeremiah 14, 14. And the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision. 
worthless divination and the deceit of their own minds. These prophets are deceived in their own minds. They may even believe what they're saying is true. Usually false prophets have been taught by another false prophet and they're just repeating what they've received. Tragically, perhaps the greatest false prophecy spreading the world today something we call the prosperity gospel. I know some of you have heard of it. Its roots go back to the country I'm from, the United States. And it says, if you believe, you can have life in the full right now. You can have all the wealth, all the health, all these things God will give you. And guess what? If you don't believe, if you don't receive those, you don't have enough faith. It's your fault. Why haven't you have health? You don't have enough faith. Why don't you have enough money? You don't have enough faith. It's your fault. Now, a preacher who preaches that, how does he prove he has faith? He's got to have health. He's got to have wealth. He's got to have these things to show, look, I'm a true prophet. Look at what all I have. And this is an abomination of the Word of God straight from the enemy of himself. This is a lie. Scripture is being twisted. These are often difficult things. Scripture speaks of false prophets in very unglowing terms. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, if you were a prophet, if you were wrong, then you were not a prophet of God. A prophet of God was right 100% of the time in the Old Testament. I've talked to several people. Uh, it's, it's been a unique thing in the recent weeks, in recent months. I've had several people come to me with words from a prophet that they prophesied over them. I've had two people say, the prophet prophesied that I would die soon. And I said, well, I don't know what soon is. I don't know what that means. Could be today. It could be a year from now. Could be 20 years from now. But unless Jesus returns, you will die. But here's what I can tell you also. God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but a spirit of love and power and self-discipline. If what he said is driving you to fear, then it is driving you away from the heart of God. God has not given us fear. Now, the only fear we're to have is a fear of God himself. Death has no sting. Now, lots of people love to call themselves a prophet. Be cautious. Be wary, church. Be warned. Jesus says, beware in verse 15. The first word, beware. It's a severe word. It means don't let these things impact your mind. Don't expose your mind to the influence of a false prophet. Don't let them get anywhere in there. Don't pay attention. Don't heed. Don't follow. Don't notice. Don't devote yourself to them. Remember, the wolves come in sheep's clothing. In Jeremiah 23.14 it says, But in the prophets of Jerusalem... I've seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery. They walk in lies. They strengthen the hand of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me 
and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. A false prophet excuses their own sin. Here he's saying they walk in sin. No, the follower of Christ, when we see our sin, we repent, we mourn, we grieve, we hate our sin, and we run to Jesus because he's the one who has forgiven us and the one who we long to be in. Old Testament warns over and over again against false prophets, preaching lies. They're phony. They're false. They love an audience. They love power. They love money. They love their influence. They love a crowd. They love prestige. They don't like to be questioned. Ephesians 5, 6 says this, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. There are going to be those who want to deceive you. Don't be surprised by it. Don't let it shock you. The enemy wants you to be deceived, to believe a lie. Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Our world has lots of philosophies. Here's how to best live your life. Here's how things should operate best. Here's the best worldly leadership practices. Here's the best worldly ideas. No, we go to Scripture. Scripture says, I'm to die. I'm to be a servant. I'm to be lowly. We go to Scripture over and over again. We don't turn to the philosophies of the day. If someone is trained to find counterfeit money. Counterfeit money is money that has been produced by someone to look very real so that they could spend it, but it's not real. It's not the real thing. Whenever you're trained to find counterfeit money, they do not show you counterfeit money. They do not have you look at counterfeit money. What they have you do is take you to the real thing, the real money, and you study it in detail to the point that you can quickly spot out anything that's amiss in a counterfeit. That's what we're to do with God's Word. We go to God's Word to see, is this true? Does this match? You see, God's Word teaches over and over again. We sang it a little while ago. In Christ alone. Not Christ plus works. Not Christ plus religion. It's Christ alone. That's where our hope is found. Anything else that's preached is in contradiction to Scripture. It's Christ alone that saves. It's through grace alone, His grace alone, that we are saved. He says, beware. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. 14 says, no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So false prophet, they're going to look the part. They're going to look kind, going to look gracious. There's going to be things that you may see about them because they disguise themselves as angels of light. A few ways that you can tell them, they preach an easy believism. They preach a different gospel. They don't preach it's Christ alone. They preach, come however you want. That you don't have to throw yourself at the altar 
of the grace of God? That you don't have to throw yourself on His mercy? They preach an easy believism. They preach a works-based righteousness. That it's not Christ alone, but like it's Christ. Plus, you've got you've to bring something. You've got to have works. You've got to do something. You, you've got to have these other things. No, it's Christ alone and Him alone that saves. A false prophet, they don't receive correction well. They don't like correction They're the prophet. They don't want to be questioned. I'll tell you one of the things I'm most grateful for here at IEC is that we have a plurality, meaning several elders. Our elders are gracious, godly men seeking Christ. And I can tell you there's been times where I've said something that was confusing, where I've said something that was misunderstood, or even I've acted in a way or done something That wasn't as kind and graceful as it should have been. And I can tell you, our elders have come and graciously, kindly asked me about it. Church, I praise God for that. I need that. I need men in my life who will come and say, hey, we want to help you. We want to speak into your life. We want to help your life fully align with God's word. We need that. See, that's what Jesus is speaking of here. The religious leaders, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. They weren't poor in spirit. They were proud and arrogant. Blessed are those who mourn. They didn't mourn their sin. Blessed are the meek. They didn't become humble. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They didn't crave righteousness. That's what we should crave. The more Christ-like we become, the more humble we become. Not the more proud and arrogant and big and full of ourselves. No. In verse 16, he's going to speak of the third thing we see, a fatal fruit. Fatal fruit. He says, you will recognize them by their fruits. What do they produce? The fruit of a prophet? Part of that is what do they teach? Where do they take people to? Me, I... I always want to say this word is what we seek to lift up. The word of God. God has spoken. We want to open up and hear from God. We're not looking to hear from man. We want to hear from Him. We want to see how the Word points us to our need for Christ. So part of their fruit is a false teaching, heretical teaching. It says a good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. Uh, John 15 says if you abide in me, uh, if you abide in Christ... The vine, the branch abiding in the vine, then it will produce good fruit. It's as we abide in Christ that fruit is produced. We see the fruit of ministry. Every Christian, we're all called to ministry. Some are vocational, most aren't. That's okay. But we're all called, our lives are to have fruit from them. Appointing people to Christ. Fruit of ministry. And then there's what we call the fruit of the Spirit or character fruit. Where you should see a person's life increasingly look like Jesus. More and more. You see, a false prophet is protecting their image. How people look at them is really important. So they protect that. Now, the one who speaks for God, they're not concerned about their image. They're concerned about the glory of God. That's why they're willing to receive correction. That's why they're willing to do these things. 
so they are fruit. He speaks, every healthy tree produces good fruit, diseased tree does not. And in verse 16, he says, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. These false prophets, these false teachers, they are headed people on a road to destruction, and at some point, it'll be dealt with. They'll be cut down, and their destination will not be life because they do not know him. He says, you'll recognize them by their fruits. Again, he has this word many in here. That's difficult. Many get led astray. In verse 23, we see a fatal verdict down here. In verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's the one who does the will of my Father. So, again, not everyone who comes says, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in the name of Jesus. We did miracles and we said the name of Jesus. We did all these things and we said the name of Jesus. Like the name of Jesus, he says, to prophesy, we talked about this a few weeks ago, the name of Jesus is you line up with the heart of God. You line up with the heart of Christ. And he says, it's the one who does the will of my Father. As we pray, as we get into the Word, God moves us more and more toward His will, not Him moving to our will. He transforms us. He changes us. He renews us. And in verse 22, again, I I mentioned this a second ago, he says, on that day, many, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? I wish I could change that to be a few, to be some. Jesus, who knows all things, God incarnate, he says, many will say this. That's heavy. That's hard. That doesn't feel good. My my flesh wants to change it, but this is what he says. Many will say this. And in verse 23, he will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We get the fourth thing here in verse 23, a fatal verdict. I pray none of us here today hear verse 23. I pray none of us here today hear those words, I never knew you. Several years ago, I was a part of a church plant, and we started with seven elders. And one of those elders, um, he was an older gentleman, very kind, very gracious. His daughter had moved to England, and she was, uh, had become engaged to a man who was a childhood friend of Prince William. So the wedding was going to take place in the town we lived in, in Memphis, Tennessee, And he invited all the elders to come to the wedding. So I received an invitation to come to the wedding. But also at the wedding was the majority of the royal family. 
because they were friends with this guy. And I went with my wife, and I remember we were standing somewhere, we turned around, and there right before us was Prince William, the future king of England. And I didn't quite know what to say, so I just stuck out my hand. I don't know if you're supposed to touch or not. I didn't know the protocol. I said, hi, I'm Steve. I'm glad you're here in Memphis. This is my wife, Margaret. And he turns to me and he says, well, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Margaret. He picked up her name after one time and he said, let me introduce you to Lord Astor. Let me introduce you to Princess Huge and begin to introduce my wife to the royal family. And we had a nice five-minute conversation. A conversation which I remember most of the details. I haven't forgot it. But I tell you, if I ran into Prince William... And I said, hey, I know you. Good to see you again. He would look at me and go, who are you? I don't know you. Oh, yeah, we, we met at a wedding in Memphis. I don't remember that conversation at all. I don't remember meeting you. I don't know you. And sadly, there are too many who heard about Jesus and they go, that sounds good at age eight and then their life never transformed. They were never truly born again. There was no change in their life. They're banking on the fact that they know some facts about Jesus. But Scripture doesn't talk about it that way. The demons know facts about Jesus. Satan has right information about Jesus. Scripture speaks of us being a new creation. We repent of our sin. We see the fruit in our life. We see those things. Now tell me, my wife, Margaret. I know my wife, Margaret. She usually sits down here in the front row and I can tell you what she's thinking during a sermon. I can just catch a glance of her face and I know what's going on. I know her. I know when she's having a bad day. I know when she's frustrated. Sometimes I can even tell when she's frustrated with me. I know her. I spend time with her. I love her. There's no one on the face of the earth that I'd rather spend time with than my wife. I want to be with her. I want to talk with her. I know her. She knows me. We're to know Jesus. This word for I never knew you. In the Greek it has the idea of intimate knowledge of knowing a person. Not just knowing about. Do you know Jesus? If you've been in church in a length of time, you probably know about him. You could probably even give some right information. Oh, I could go up to Prince William and be like, hey, I know who your mom is. I can tell your mom's name. I can tell your dad's name. I can tell your grandma's name. I can tell you all these facts about you. But he would say, I don't know you. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus? 
Do you love him? Do you want to be with Christ? Is he your joy? Is he your hope? Is he your strength? As you live this life, do you go, Christ is enough? The world may tell me I need a lot of other things, but he's enough. He is sufficient. I need nothing else but Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Have you trusted in him? Have you recognized what scripture says is true of you? All have sinned. The wages of sin is death. This is what scripture says is true of you and me. That's what we deserve is death. That's where we're headed. None of us are called good in scripture. We're called evil. We're called sinful. We're on a road to destruction. We're on a wide road. Unless someone goes, there's a narrow gate. It's Christ. God loves you. God's grace is amazing. He forgives you of all your sins. And as you trust that, you become a new creation. You're born again. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you. I would encourage you, go to Vic's class on the Holy Spirit. It's one of the things that we're most confused about. Sometimes people say, what I see, you don't speak about the Spirit enough. We'll speak about the Spirit, but the Spirit's job is to point most clearly to Jesus Christ. So we want to point you to Christ. That's where your hope and sufficiency is. And the Spirit indwells you and secures you. So I'd encourage you, go to Vic's class. Learn about the Spirit. Know God's Word well enough that when you hear that false prophet, you go, I'm not going to be deceived. I'm not going to be tricked. He may have some scriptures He may have a crowd. He may have a gift of speaking passionately and furiously and able to tickle people's ears. But it doesn't mean that he's necessarily teaching the truth. Now we point to the truth and all sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Jesus ends this sermon in a very difficult way because he knows this truth is hard to understand. On one level, it's simple. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. On another level, it's very difficult because your flesh does not like it. And here's what every one of us is probably doing right now. I know someone who doesn't know Christ. They haven't trusted in them. I see no signs of fruit in their life. Now I would say pray for them. Share the gospel with them. Live the gospel before them. Pray that God would get a hold of their hearts. We can't always, we can't truly tell what's going on in somebody's heart. But fruit gives us some evidence. And when we see bad fruit produced, then we need to pray for that person and preach the gospel to that person like they don't know Jesus because they're not acting and living like it. Some of you here today, you know you're on that secure road that's going to take you to life. That that life in the full starts now and Jesus will secure you and bring you home. You are secure in Him. Others, you're sitting here wondering, 
my life? Does it give testimony to Christ? I don't really know him. I don't really want him. I don't really seek him. I pray that today would be the day of salvation. And some here today, you know that you don't know him and you don't want him. I pray that God would open your eyes to the truth of his word and work in your life. Church, may we be found to be a people who have entered through the narrow gate, who are rocking down that hard road that leads to life. Let's pray. God, uh, this is a, um, a challenging message that I confess I am completely inadequate, but for you, but for your spirit, but for your word. So God, I pray that your spirit would work in hearts and lives. And Lord, I know in a beautiful church made up of people from many nations, from many cultures, with so many with English maybe being a second or third language, that there's even things that can be misunderstood. There's even things that I can mistakenly say. That may not be your truth. So God, we ask that the truth of your word, that the truth of the glorious good news of the gospel, the truth that we are sinful, we don't like that news, but that that drives us to the cross of Jesus Christ where our sin was nailed to that tree, where Jesus took the wrath that was reserved for me and you took it upon yourself and you arose victorious to life and you give us that life. Lord, to those who have trusted this, I pray that they walk away with assurance, joyful assurance, that no matter what happens in this life, their destination is secure. Lord, there are some today who may be questioning. They're questioning if they know you, if they've been born again, if they've been converted, if they've been what Scripture calls a new creation. They don't see signs of fruit in their life, maybe. I pray that you would awaken them both to their own sin and to the sufficiency of Christ. And Lord, I know there's those here today that have never claimed to follow you. Who maybe have no interest in you. Who maybe have listened to these words and been troubled and upset and rejected them, or maybe they've just spaced out as they've heard them, would you penetrate the heart of stone? Only you can do that, Lord, so we pray that you will. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the words of Jesus Christ. May your word do its work in Jesus' name. Amen.